Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Hey, thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in Walter's music. If you'd like to reach out to me, Nave at JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. JamesNave.com is also, obviously, my website. I would love to hear from you. What's going on wherever you are in, in the world? And Davine Dial, who manages the radio station, thank you so much for holding WPVMFM together. We couldn't do this without you. Couldn't get these great stories out all over the world without you, Davine Dial, helping us make it all happen. WPVMFM, if you'd like to know more about community radio. If you've been listening to this show for a while, and I hope you have, you know that I have all kinds of guests on and I say it, say, say this every time. And I have, sometimes I have friends who come and visit with me whom I've known for a long time. <clears throat> sometimes I have people that I have met, but don't really know. And sometimes I have complete strangers. Today I have somebody that I've overlapped with a little bit. Her name is Ginger Hubner and she lives in Asheville, North Carolina, where this show originates. And Ginger is an artist. She's a visual artist. She works in creativity, she does all kinds of work with students. She has a big range of things that she enjoys in the creative arena. And I got to know Ginger because I was invited to be part of the TEDx Asheville committee, choosing the TEDx speakers coming up in February 2022. And Ginger was one of the ones we chose. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we can have a conversation. So, Ginger, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Uh, thanks so much, James. It's so nice to be here. I see you're in your studio because you and I are on a Zoom call, even though this show will be broadcast over the radio and podcast platforms. You have lots of finished work behind you. Why do you think engaging creatively is so important in the world right now? What's up? What's up with that for you? It's my language. It's how I process the world, things that are going on. Being able to access that for yourself, whether it's visual or it's movement or it's food or whatever that might that language might be for you, creativity allows you the opportunity to see things in new ways. It pushes you outside of the normal everyday constructs. After what we've been through in this last, what's coming up on two years, it's kind of hard to believe, a lot of isolation. It exposed a lot of what maybe isn't a part of our lives that we yearn for and didn't realize we did. So for me, creativity is an opportunity to explore those parts of ourselves that we often kind of hide or push down. I'm thinking of creativity a great deal these days for the same reasons that you just mentioned. Two years almost being alone, sequestered, in, in a way that we've never been sequestered before. You, sometimes people like to be sequestered. You'll go off and sign up for a year of meditation in some little spot somewhere in the world and sit there for a year. So in a sense, we've all had that opportunity, if you'd like to call it that. Often I hear the term creativity. People use it a lot. And I'm beginning to think 
creativity is something that's pervasive, something that exists for us from the beginning. It's all around us. It's not something that we acquire. It's not something that we practice necessarily. Maybe we practice it, perhaps. So how do you see the word creativity? How expansive is it? Because some people think, I don't have any creativity. I'm not a creative person. And I'm always saying, well, you wouldn't be able to survive if you weren't a creative person. You have to think always creatively. So what's your take on that? Because we refer to creativity almost as if it's something that's out there. Oh, creativity does this or creativity does that. We don't refer to air like, oh, air does this, or air does that, or oxygen does this, or oxygen does that. It's Oxygen is something that we take in. Air is something that we exist around. What are your thoughts on creativity from that point of view? Creativity is in existence for all of us from the day we are born. When I think about that word, I think about it as something that helps us think wider, see things in different ways. It doesn't always have to be something that's artistic. I don't mean people think about it like that because in schools, if you have art, then you've had your creativity for the day. I know people who are lawyers, people that are in the corporate world, how they access their creativity is how they think about things. It's already woven into who they are. My two brothers would say they're not creative at all. They look at me and they're like, oh, you got all of that. And the reality is like, they're super smart and savvy business people. They utilize that part of them, their creativity. That language for them is different than the way that it's my language, but it's the same idea. It just is. I'm glad you agree with that because I'm beginning to think if we can somehow frame our language around the way we speak of creativity so that it does broadly include everybody. I mean, you mentioned a second ago, looking at something in in a different way. I was thinking as you said that, well, how could you look at it in any other way other than different? Because you are an individual, you are a human being, the way you look at it will be different from any other way anybody else looks at anything because you have an angle up to view from that nobody else has. Now, your interpretation of that difference, the way you language it, might sound similar to the way other people language things. And yet, no matter how similar it sounds, it's still always going to be different. Everything that we do is different and that we are unique and we are individualistic in the best sense of being who we are, being ourselves. And we don't have to try for that. It's there. Except that we live in a society that is constantly, if you have, I mean, I have two teenagers, it's constantly about what everyone else is doing and are you like them? It's all comparison. It's all comparison. So immediately, yes, but at the same time, we're evaluating how we compare to everybody else. And that's two different concepts. It's two different modalities. So the way our society constructs us, it's designed to move us in the direction of conformity. We are all going to be similar. Mm -hmm. And yet the dramatic tension lies in that we will never be able to conform because there's no way we can, because we're individualistically designed. We are, we are individuals. We are ourselves. There's always that tension between those two poles. In my work as a visual artist, of course, I mean, that is, again, that's my language. What I love about what it's taught me, also my love of other people and, and connecting and collaborating with others, which is 
to some degree unusual. Most artists, visual artists for sure, are just like, here's my work, take it or leave it. I know a lot of artists who don't like teaching or working with other people, but I absolutely love and thrive on, on doing work with other people, like together, creating works of art together or facilitating people to create their own work. But what I've realized too is the tool that I've learned, like the, the process that I use, it's so powerful that I can work with anybody. It's not about creating an artist or, or even creating a work of art that is something I wanna hang on my wall. It's working with literally any type of person, any type of scene. It allows them to access that piece of them that they, they shut down a long time ago. That part of them, the creative piece of them, whatever that means, it shut down a long time ago. They've kind of put it over here in a little box. They don't know how to get it back out. That's what I have discovered is a, is a gift that I have. So tell us how you would work with somebody who shows up at your door, knock, knock, Ginger, help me out here. And you say, come in. Mm -hmm. um, here's a cookie. Here's some tea. Now let's get to work. What, is, what happens? I use two mediums, collage and color. Someone asked me recently, like, why collage? Most of us can remember a time, probably preschool or kindergarten, when we're, we can kind of envision ourselves sitting with paper and cutting it, right? It's something that is done when we're young as a technique, a medium of creating art. As long as you can visually see, like you have your sight. I also went to school for architecture. So there's this whole other piece of me that's like about space and how it affects you. But every day, you know, we get up and we choose what we're going to put on. We have spaces that make us feel good. We decorate those spaces in ways that make us feel good. Visually, that is so much a part of who we are and what makes us who we are, like what, how we make ourselves is very visual. So if you take a, a pile of magazines and you have an idea that you're trying to process or something you're struggling with or fill in the blank, and you just start looking through a magazine, not overthinking it, really being free and just start pulling out whatever hits you right, right here, whatever hits you, you pull it out. You're not cutting, there's no scissors yet or anything. You just pull it out. And then we start cutting and we're cutting like as precisely as we can. So I talk a lot about, you have to choose something out of that scene. Very precisely cut, talk about following lines that you see. And really, again, sort of challenging yourself. And we end up with this collection of images that inevitably have these amazing stories connected to them and to each other. And we start arranging them on the page, tucking them under and over and like deciding how they're speaking. And then there's this whole story. It's giving them access, time, and space to just let all of this kind of come out. The stuff that is really hard to say sometimes for words, like I was saying for myself, words don't necessarily come out all the right way all the time. I can represent that visually. And then we add color as this other layer. And for me, in my work at the studio, it's chalk, pastel. But if I'm doing it on a smaller scale, like color pencil, the color to me is the magic. It's the feeling. It's the emotion that, again, we don't talk about that that much. Emotion and feeling, that's not important. That's too messy. We're in a business meeting. Why are we talking about how you feel? But to me, as we know, humans are very emotional beings. It's a huge piece of what we are. Same, the same way I'm talking about like being visual is a big part of who we are. Those two things actually make up a lot of how we walk through the world but we actually give ourselves very little time to process it. What colors do you feel? And I, I had a kid and I was doing this with a school recently and the kid was like, what do you mean, what color do I feel? I've never been asked that question. That just, 
you know, but then he was like, oh, 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 blue, blue, for sure. You know, like he immediately was like, he got it, you know, but it's, it's an odd question. But then once I ask it, everyone's like, oh, and then they rattle off the colors for sure that come up. It's all very unconscious, but it's totally reality. Like it's coming from within these people. And I'm just blown away every time I do it. I know it feeds the person I'm working with, but it like is so nourishing for me too. Like I just feel so connected to those people that whether it's a group or an individual and, and to help them discover that that is within them. It was already there and it changes how they walk out of the room. It changes how they leave. Create and connect. And then it changes how they walk out of the room. Does that change endure? What is your experience with people after you've gone through the process and then you go back and say, hey, what's happening a year later? Mm. How does that affect them over a, a long arc of time? People that will text me and be like, it's been a year since we did our portrait together. They're hanging it in their house. And they're seeing it every day. And it's a very transitional moment for them. They carry with them forever. And from the collage point of view, making a collage from a magazine or magazine images, I've done that before. And I agree with you. The stories always do seem to emerge. Our imaginations allow that to happen because the imagination loves to have that stimulation. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I could see all of these things that I did I couldn't see before. And of course, I've often thought that the magazines make a difference. So if you toss in a bunch of Vanity Fair magazines, mechanical science magazines, and then some political magazines, you're going to have a different proposition than maybe if you toss time, Wall Street Journal type magazines in, right. into the mix. And yet you have these opportunities to trim and cut and be very precise. What about other collage imagery beyond the magazines? Have you ever worked with anything from nature or from people generating their own material in terms of what they design and then trimming that all up and making collages out of it? How mm -hmm. far have you how far have you taken this? I have done pieces where instead of instead of it being about the images you're seeing, you're just looking for color and pattern. And then we're we're creating imagery from that. If you had an image pop up for you of a boat, we're not looking for a boat. We're looking for all the pieces that are going to make up that boat. That's like just a deeper way to go about it. Yeah, because I'm just reminded of the days years ago in the mid 90s when I was helping Julia Cameron run the Artist Way Creativity Camp here in Taos. And we did it for maybe six or seven years and people would come and you know, basically we would just romp around in Taos, have fun and do creative yeah. stuff like collage making, right? But we did have a time during the week when we would do this project called Sculpting with Found Objects. Oh yeah. But people would go out and they'd pick up sticks or different kinds of odds and ends and, and collect them all together. And one woman collected all these big rocks and then she tied herself to the rocks. Oh, wow. So she became the image and the image was tied to the rocks and then she cut the ropes and the ropes fell away and then she was free to fly off as the bird. There are lots and lots of ways to do this. Now, you mentioned architecture. How does your architecture think, architectural thinking apply to all of this work? You've just touched on it a bit, but fill this out a bit more for us. Obviously, I don't practice architecture anymore, but the way that I think now, like the, the way that I access that creative language for myself is directly from architecture school. It's really good at math, and I love drawing and painting. I had no idea 
what it really meant to access that creativity for myself. Like it was a skill. I could copy something, give me a picture. You know, there was no depth to it. And the first year of architecture school was basically about breaking it up, throwing it over here, scrambling it and putting it back together. The rebuilding of that, the, the second through fifth year, I mean, it completely changed the way that I think. And the abstract piece for me that I couldn't access earlier in life came together. And, and the other piece that I have learned since, which is why I ended up turning to teaching was like, I really don't care so much about how a building goes together. I care about what it feels like and the people in it. Well, every year I actually kind of question like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm not really sure. Like, but I love, you know, this all these community architects and I, I would go meet with people and have these interesting conversations. And I never could quite put my finger on it. Like, it wasn't like I wanted to go get MFA. I just wasn't sure. So I just kept going. And a five-year degree, I mean, it was an amazing education. I do not regret any minute of it. But during my second year of school, one of my professors threw some chalk on my desk and he said, you need this. And I didn't really know what he was getting at, but I had started, in, I had started integrating collage, like colored pieces of paper, not really, they weren't images per se, into my drawings. So it's very black and white, right? Plans, sections, elevations. It was like that emotional piece for me. I wanted, I needed to show how I was feeling or at least talk about how it was feeling. I didn't know that at the time. It was just sort of happening. So he threw chalk on my desk. I started doing this kind of work and I never stopped. And so my fifth year thesis was actually all my typical drawings we had to do, you know, we're like designing at one building for the whole year. I had all these drawings, plans, sections, elevations done on a parallel bar with no computers then, all of, you know, by hand. And then a whole nother wall of artwork that were versions of what this work is now was like a translation of this very literal building, how I imagined it feeling and it worked. It was a really neat process. So I left that school with this new way of seeing and talking about and translating my world. We got married right after we graduated and went to Seattle and I would do these drawings. I call them drawings, but I would do this work about different places we'd go visit, like hikes and backpacking. And we were always outside and it just became my language, literally. It's interesting because as you are talking about the emotional aspect of the building, I think of the Empire State Building. If you've ever been to New York, you likely have admired the Empire State Building. And if you haven't been to New York, you've likely seen a picture of the Empire State Building. And it is an emotional proposition because of the historical aspect, as well as the way it's designed, the way it looks. And every night they change the lighting on the building to reflect a, a news of the day. The candidate wins. And if it's a, a Republican candidate, the, the building is red. If it's a, it's a Democratic candidate, the building is blue. If a sports team wins, then the colors go up for the sports team. Or at Christmas Eve, it's all Christmas colors. And the New Year's, it's a New Year's color. So the building is always changing form, or at least changing lights, which then allows it to change form in my imagination. Mm -hmm. So that's the emotional aspect of it. So when you work with people, do you ever think you're building little buildings inside of them, constructing emotional artifacts that people will admire humans are humans and buildings are buildings but construction and mathematics and the idea of forming beauty full of emotion is compelling 
Well, when you were talking and describing the work you were doing with architectural, the architectural work you'd done, the architectural study, I, I, I saw, I had this image of this building emerging inside of me yeah. as I, as I built it from, from like, okay, now I have to make my architectural form and then I have to put it all together. And, 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 and then I have this emotional structure. So you, you said we got married, you and your, your husband. I know you have a couple of children as well. Yes. They're not children anymore, it appears. They oh seem like they're a little grown up by now. They're but giants now. They're giants. <laughs> but you, you went with your husband. Is, is he, was he an architect as well in the same school? Yes, that's how we met. And he still practices. So it's still a part of my world, which actually is really cool that we have that connection. In this path that you've traveled with your students and your art, your family, your architectural career, and now your career as a visual artist, you have arrived at an opportunity to give a TEDx talk. Yes. So what's that all about? Why would you want to do such a thing? Mm. What motivated that? What do you have to say to, to us listening to you? What's important to you? And why would it be important to to us, the listeners. And when my kids were two and four, I started Roots and Wings here in Asheville, which is a school of art and design. And we do education for kids from three up to through adults. That is a, a chapter that's important to reference just because that was my lens as an, as an artist, my lens as an educator, and then my lens as a parent. What does this work mean in the world? I know what it means from the shape of my school and what that is, what that's offering to people. But there's something deeper, and I had been doing workshops with people with Create and Connect and in schools through residencies, sort of like a little bit. And someone challenged me to apply to an artist, an uh, artist residency. And I got to go for two weeks by myself, which had never happened since I've had kids, <laughs> and just create my work. And that happened on the tail of this vision I had had of doing these collaborative portraits, which I was sort of sharing with you. The larger scale work where I work with people with collage and chalk and we we create this very abstract portrait of themselves and it's their story. I had a show in the summer of 2019 of 18 portraits from age three to 86, different people, like people of all different ages, different walks of life, all telling their story. Then had the artist residency and then COVID hit, which we're still not out of it, but coming out of that when this application came up. The TEDx Asheville theme is building bridges and connecting. That is what I do. That was the theme. And I thought, I think I need to push myself to see what's possible here. If this work, and, and it, it goes hand in hand with like, there's not a lot I can do with my school. There's a lot of stuff we can't do. I lost a lot of programming. This is the other half of me that needs to be out in the world. I just chose to say, okay, let's see what's possible. Ultimately, what I've realized is that the gifts that I have, that I have, that I feel like are meant to be shared in this world are this idea of creative language. What is that? And how do we help people access it in a way that allows them to find that vulnerable space to share their emotions and their feelings along with their stories? Again, for me, that language is visual art. So I, my tools are very specific. But I feel like even in the process that I use, it can take someone who uses very different tools and has a very different language of creativity and 
still allows them to sort of shine the spotlight on it and be like, oh my gosh, and rediscover it and have a whole new journey that they can go on because of just that one. When you are thinking about doing this TED Talk, what kind of ideas do you have to offer the group that would motivate them to move in this direction. And the reason I'm asking that is I'm sitting here with a Sharpie, it's a black Sharpie, and I have a little piece of paper that I can scribble on. And I'm motivated to scribble. I, I am actually motivated to do a lot of artistic things because I've been doing them for a long time. So I have that momentum. What can you say to somebody who's sitting there in the back row thinking, well, all well and good, Ginger, but that's not me. Maybe I would like to do that. Maybe they're thinking, wow, could I go beyond where I am now? So what can you say to somebody? And even right now, listening right now in this conversation, they're listening and they're thinking, gee, could that be me? What can they do to go beyond the scribble on the white page with the, the Sharpie that's just a black ink Sharpie? Mm-hmm. I would encourage them to find a magazine. I mean, I would want to walk them through that, the process of creating and connecting, using visual imagery that will spark something. Starting with imagery is really helpful, especially for, for folks that sort of look at themselves as like, I can't do that. That's not something I can do. And then allowing them to just be free and pull three pictures out and then cut those pictures up and then find a crayon or some kind of colored source something, whether it's paint, crayon, colored pencils, go to your kids' art supplies, you know, (laughs) ask yourself that question of what color do you feel? What colors do you feel? And just see what happens. Every time I do a workshop and someone is saying that they're like, oh, I've never done this before. This isn't what I do. I'm not good at this. But then if I ask them to share what they did, what happened here on the page, it's amazing. It's not about what it looks like at the end. It's about what's within it. That's the most important piece here is it's it's not about creating a beautiful thing. I always say with my school, I'm not trying to create an army of artists. Everyone who comes through Roots and Wings needs to go be an artist. I'm trying to help them find their creative voice, like to build a foundation of thinking wider so that when they go on and aren't here anymore, whether they go to public school, private school, whatever they decide that lights them up in their life, that will be a tool. That will be part of their language. And in finding the creative voice, do you think we find it or do you think we give it room to emerge? It's always, it's always been there. It's always been there. I really do believe that. And it it is, it's about, and that when I talk about what I do, it's like the first thing that it gives you is space. Like we have to, we have to give ourselves space to listen. We don't do that enough. The space to listen is really the first piece and it is within us. And that's what I find is proven when we do this, people will be like, wow, I don't even know why I cut that out. But at the end, they're like, I know why I cut that out. I'm angry. There was this thing that happened and that is completely what that's about. There's so much story around us. The the magazine would be one way to collage, but as we're talking, I'm sitting here at my desk as you are at yours. And and you're talking about all these things like, oh, I cut that out because I'm angry or I did this because I'm that. And so I'm starting to look around my desk. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, 
my gosh, everything here has a tremendous story, a terrific story. I look at the stapler and I look at the, the, the calculator that I stepped on. Uh, then now it's sort of broken, but it still works. I, I look at the water bottle that I dropped and it is broken. So it doesn't quite work like it once did. So there's a story about stepping on the calculator, step uh, dropping the water bottle. I then looked over at some duct tape, colorful duct tape that's covering a, a, a light switch. I don't know why it's covering the light switch. And I was reminded of my collaborative partner, Allegra Houston's son, Roth, who used to make wallets out of duct tape when he was a little boy. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, he must have put the duct tape on that wall. Now he's 18. He's in <laughs> Italy, traveling around, taking a gap year before he goes to college, wandering around on his own because he just likes the idea of wandering around Italy on his own, right? And the days of cute duct tape are over. It's a bit like Puff the Magic Dragon lived by the sea and then suddenly Puff is gone and the boy becomes an, an adult. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to think, inspired by your conversation today, we have everything around us to collage. We can make all kinds of things. You could write down duct tape on the, on the light switch, the broken yeah. water bottle that you still love and collage those stories without even cutting the images out of, yeah. of a magazine. So mm -hmm. what would your thoughts be on that? I love that idea. And it's so true because, I mean, you're making me think of my own space spaces too. There are all kinds of things that are here that I wouldn't be cutting out, but they would bring up these moments of my story from this collection of objects. It sparks these words, visual art techniques. You could use your phone and do something really cool with all those things too. You could do a whole YouTube oh. collage thing. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go off just a little bit to the side here and promote something I found on YouTube, <laughs> which just delighted me no end. And I was looking for just odd images and I came across roosters crowing. Now, that's not a big deal. Everybody's heard a rooster crow, but I had never seen a rooster crow and then pass out. And then, then, the, then he gets all dusty and then he comes back and he crows again and he passes out again. So he won't, he doesn't stop crowing until he passes out and then he recovers and comes back. So it's like, the, it's like the Phoenix rising, but the rooster rises. I thought that was the funniest thing. So there are many opportunities clearly to delight ourselves when we remember we have this range. And as you were talking, I'm starting to look around my desk at all these little objects. And I'm wondering, is it even possible to own something and it not have a story? Mm. Everything we have has a big, big story. I mean, think about even the most unremarkable thing, like a clip that holds the paper together. It has a story. It's holding my story together. The clip right. holds my story together. Or, And then you can just dive right into the emotional aspects of like, what, what about your wedding ring? What a story. Right. And yet it's just a ring, but it's not. Yeah. It's the whole universe right there on your, your left hand. Mm -hmm. So I just love this idea of everything around us being available for our emotional well-being mm -hmm. by way of collaging it. Perhaps our lives are all just simply collages put together. I do think that's part of this last year 
I had this dream seeing my life as these pieces of movie clips. They weren't moving. It wasn't live. It was like what you're saying. It was this sort of the collage thread of where I'm being led. And we're all being led somewhere, whether or not we're really being intentional about paying attention to that or not is can be different for people. Well, and we are being led and we are being invited to follow. And we're also being invited to lead. And it's all one little package, I think. You really can't separate it. Mm-hmm. And we're all moving toward the inevitable, which is when we say goodbye to this world and cease being human and go into whatever dimension we go into. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we're collaging as we go along. <laughs> and I'm even now thinking about all of the dreams we have. If they're not collage, what, what are they? Right. Yeah. So my kids are, my daughter's a junior, so we're starting to talk about college, leaving, and all, you know, the rest of her life that's going to be not under our roof. And Scott and I have done lots of different things over the time that we have been married and have had kids. And I'm happy that my kids have seen us collaging our lives together, right? Like, we have done hard things. We have tried things that didn't work. We have, and, and when I look at that, when it comes to sort of talking to a younger person about what what's life all about anyway, right? Like, what is the point of college? What is the point of picking this career? What is the best way to think about it? And really it's being open, allowing yourself to have that space to see opportunities, to experience opportunities and to be able to either take them and lead with them or to leave them and go on to the other, you know, to a different thing. Yeah, it's this journey of pieces that that make up who we are. And collaging one's life implies organization it implies choices it implies decisions Uh, the deer herd walks past the window and you admire the deer herd early in the morning while the frost is on the field that becomes an image that might inform the way one collages one's life or not so the work you do is so beyond the page you're basically suggesting to people they can collage their lives and they can do it with delight or they can do it without delight. They can collage their lives in delightful ways. They have choices. They can make things of what's around them. Can you collage your life within an hour or two? How do we arrange the elements in our lives so they sing in harmony with our dreams. Mm. Wow, I really like that. I think that would scare people. The idea of that is, is scary. Like, wait, so do I, ha- I have that much choice, right? That is the reality, like, yes. You are collaging your life. The question is, are you aware that you're doing it? Right. And that is maybe scary, maybe a little surprising. I wonder, it might be scary for one person, it might be liberating for another. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So do you have some thoughts for our closing? I just loved this conversation and the challenge of really pushing through this idea, like beyond the fact of paper and color. And I'm intrigued to keep going. And how would one reach out to you? Do you have a website? How do people reach you? Yeah, I do have a website. It's just my name, gingerhubner.com. And spell that? So G-I-N-G-E-R, 
H-U-E-B-N-E-R.com. So if people wanted to collage with you, they can reach out through your website and go out and gather a bunch of magazines they maybe have read or not read, but they looked at the pictures and, mm-hmm. and get some precise cutting tools and create something that is colorful, magical, and emotional. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you ever so much for being on Twice Five Miles Radio, Ginger. Thank you so much, James. This was really amazing. And there you go, my friends, a conversation with Ginger Hubner. And I hope you enjoyed the exchange we had about how one collages things. And I most especially was interested in the way Ginger talked about collage making from the point of view of using scissors and creating precise cuts when taking the images out of the magazines. Over the years, when I've taught Artist Way Creativity Workshops, we usually have a session where people make collages. They bring magazines from their collection of old magazines, and most people have a few old magazines scattered about the house. So before class, they go around, collect their magazines, get a pair of scissors, some tape, some glue, a poster board, and bring the whole thing to the class. And if you have a class of, say, 12 to 15 people, you can imagine what the floor might look like with everybody spread out all over the place, working away, trying to create whatever imagery might pop up by flipping through the magazines and cutting and slicing and tearing. And eventually they get a pile of images arbitrarily chosen from the pages they brought, plus the pages that everybody else brings as well. So you throw all of the magazines into the piles and then just let people pull from whatever magazine they please and chop, chop, cut, cut, tear, tear, and eventually the pile appears. You may have made a collage somewhere along the way in your life, and if you have, you know the next step is to sort through the pile that you have in front of you and figure out how you're going to place those images, tape them or glue them, on the poster board. And sometimes the poster board can be small or large, it can be colorful, or it can just be a plain white poster board. So the idea is once you start to put the images on the poster board, they form a pictorial autobiography of your life. It's not a carved in stone autobiography, things might change, but for that moment, It's an autobiography that reflects your past, your present, and your future. One of the things I like about making a collage using this method or approach is that it does put you in an awareness of the present moment in a joyous, really delightful way, even though some of the insights you might glean from assembling the images into your collage might bring up a little sadness or some regret or thoughts about how you might have done things differently. But of course, the present moment, the now, the moment when you're making your collage is really the only moment you have, which suggests that even though some regrets might bubble up as you assemble the images on the poster board, you can move forward in ways that will be meaningful, productive, 
and constructive. Constructive is certainly the right word to use here because when you make a collage, you are in a sense constructing using creative engineering techniques that you don't even know you have to create something on a poster board that reflects what's going on in your life right now. Also, as we said earlier, the past, the present, and the future. The whole point of a collage, in my opinion, is to give you an opportunity to sit for a moment and think about your life and do it in a way that, like I said earlier, brings you some joy. It also suggests, when you look at your collage, the passing of time. Even though the collage is fixed in the present moment, you still have the opportunity as you sit there to go back and forth between the past and the future. This is an interesting proposition to think about, most especially today. I'm recording this piece at the end of the year, December the 30th. 30 days have September, April, June, and November. All the rest of the months have 31, so we have one more day in this year, 2021. And as I sit here recording this, in a sense, I'm making a sound collage for you. And as I'm recording this, I'm thinking of all the times I've stood in rooms and sat on floors and made collages with the other people in the classes that I've taught. And I'm also thinking about T.S. Eliot's poem, The Four Quartets, which opens with a provocative line. And it goes like this, time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future and time future contained in time past. I'll say that again. Time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If you think about the idea of the circularity of things, and you think about the idea that maybe time exists, and yet it might not exist in the way we have constructed it, then time present and time past do indeed end up in time future, and then time future becomes time past. So round and round we go. So when you sit and you look at your collage, which is a collection of all three propositions, time, past, present, and future, you eventually will start to see the circularity of the whole proposition, which I find rather compelling. And as we move into 2022, the new year, the earth has just made its turn from the furthest fall south, and now it's coming back up to the the, the light time, the summertime that we know in the northern hemisphere. And of course, folks living in the southern hemisphere, they're moving into the dark time. And it occurred to me a couple of days ago when I was thinking about the earth moving down, down, down to the furthest, darkest moment for us in December and then turning around and coming back. Just imagine how much effort the earth takes to, to stop its turn and move back in the other direction. I had this image of, oh, what if one day the earth isn't able to stop and it just keeps going? I have faith that won't happen. So when we sit 
on the floor looking at our collages when you sit on the floor looking at yours. You're sitting on the earth and the earth is turning constantly back and forth around and around and around time present, time past and time future. I find that idea at the end of 2021, which has been a very difficult year for so many of us. I find that idea comforting in a large universal scope sort of way. Now this brings me back around to Ginger's comment about the precision she asks her students to use when they cut out their images from the magazines. As I've already told you, when I've done it, I usually tear the images out in very rough sorts of ways with no precision in mind at all. And of course, it's certainly good fun just to rip and tear and not worry about the mess or any of the rest of it. Even so, Ginger talked about being an architect and loving mathematics and building buildings and designing buildings, which requires a certain kind of precision that comes with form. So while I'm a big fan of just chop, chop, cut, cut, tear, tear, messy, messy. I also love the idea of precision, taking a pair of scissors and in a meditative sort of way, slowly flipping through the magazines, letting the images emerge, and then precisely cutting them with the scissors in a circle or a square or a rectangle. Of course, you'll never get the circle, square, or rectangle exactly mathematically correct because that's not a possibility. Perfection is really something you will never achieve. Even so, the idea of leaning in the direction of precision while you're sitting there on the floor looking at all those magazines is really rather compelling. I mean, when you think about it, the earth going all the way down and then turning around and coming back, if that's not precision, what is it? So when you sit there with a pair of scissors following Ginger's idea of making precise cuts, things might well slow down. Your imagination might well take different kinds of directions because you're giving yourself the space to just reflect and cut in straight lines rather than rip and tear in a more unruly way. It might be the difference between the dust devils you see in the southwest on a summer's day. You may have seen those, and you may see them in other places as well, but you see them in the southwest a lot because it's dry. So the little dust devil is a bit like a tornado. It spins and spins and spins and lifts the dust up, and you're able to mark the the shape of the wind because the dust is collected within the funnel that's rising from the ground. Going in the opposite direction from the dust devil spinning and making a mess rising from the ground, you have the spring garden, the spring flowers, the view of the field in early spring. Day is calm, maybe it's early in the morning, and there you sit or stand, gazing quietly out 
in a very reflective, meditative sort of way. So the dust devil is the spinning and the turning and the ripping and the tearing, and Ginger's more meditative approach, sitting in front of your magazines, slowly cutting out the images in a more precise manner with your scissors, might create a more relaxed feeling, like the feeling you would experience looking out across a meadow on a spring morning. So this contrast reminds us that when we are doing creative work, you have both sides, the unruly side of ripping and tearing and the more meditative side of looking out across the meadow. Both are legitimate. Both are worth combining. You can take all kinds of approaches when you do your creative work, especially here we are opening up the new year 2022 what kind of creative work will you do how will you approach what you have in your future how will you take what you have in your past and bring it to the now and then take it into the future what will you make of it what kind of form will you create how will you dance between your imagination and your form, from the imaginative storm to the creative form, the storm being the tornado, the creative form being the more precise scissor cuts? Both fit within the context of making things, which I find to be absolutely a delightful proposition. Ginger talked about being an architect. You've walked through cities, you've walked through neighborhoods, you've gone through the forest. And when you think about all three locations, the cities, the neighborhoods, the forest, you have construction going on everywhere. In New York City, the buildings rise up from what was once a marshland and they stand tall and stately in the neighborhoods you have homes they rise up in different ways never quite as tall as the skyscrapers of the big cities and then we go to the forests and think of the big trees like in the joyce kilmer national forest in western north carolina or out west when you view the redwoods in california some of the redwoods are taller than some of the buildings in new york city so we're all putting things together, we're all creating, we're all using precision to, to make things that have meaning for us. And in making things that have meaning for us, we create meaning for the world, meaning for the people around us, which I think is a good thing. Now returning for a moment to all of the collages we have made, it's delightful to think what we can do with a pair of scissors tape, glue, a poster board, and a few magazines might have the same energetic reflections as the grand buildings you see in the cities or the redwood trees in California or those fabulous trees in Joyce Kilmer National Park in North Carolina. We are a part of all that we have met and we are a part of all that we have touched and everything that we do when we go forth every day becomes part of us and that's important I think. So when you think about making your next collage keep in mind that you are constructing, you are an engineer, you're making meaning out of mess. You're working with precise things as well as imaginative things. You're making 
something happen. And you are also going between the little dust devil and the view of the meadow on a spring morning. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina is a song that I used to love when I was a boy. And it reminds me of looking out on that meadow. It also is a well-constructed song, like your finished collage full of dust devils and views of spring meadows. Here is Nothing Could Be Finer Than To Be In Carolina, sung by Big John Scherer. could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Nothing could be sweeter than my sweetie when I meet her at singing nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning and so my friends we've arrived at the end of our time together at the top of the hour uh, thanks ginger for all your comments around precision and architecture and and buildings and mathematics and most especially getting this conversation around the idea of what we can create as collage makers further along down the line and I do appreciate every one of you listening out there. It's my pleasure to do these shows, and it's certainly fabulous to be able to broadcast them and have you listen to them. I really do appreciate it. And on that note, I'd like to say that you've been listening to Twice Five Miles Radio 
Fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, and streaming online, WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville, heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, out of Taos, New Mexico. I'd like to thank Walter Parks for our theme song. Hey, Walt, I really appreciate what you do. And anyone listening out there, if you would like to know more about Walter's music, WalterParks.com, an excellent place to begin your experience with his wonderful work. Thank you, Davine Dial, for all the good stuff you do at WPVMFM. We could not do these shows without all of your help. Davine Dial, station manager and radio artist extraordinaire. Thank you very, very much. If you'd like to reach out to me, jamesnave.com. That's my that's my website, obviously. Nave at jamesnave.com. My email. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And if you would like to join me on any Saturday morning at noon Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Mountain Time for the Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session. We Zoom and we write, and anybody who wants to join can join. The door is always open, and you can find your Zoom link at imaginativestorm.com, imaginativestorm.com. And people gather, and they write, and then we read, and then we laugh. I sometimes make a joke during the Zoom calls that we came to write, but we've turned it into a stand-up comedy show. It's not always comedy, but a lot of it is, and a lot of it is really funny. So join us if you are so moved. Once again, thanks ever so much for listening to this show. I really do appreciate it, and I hope you tune in again next time. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.